This is an ABC podcast. Donald Trump likes Vladimir Putin. If he says great things about me, I'm going to say great things about him. I've already said he is really very much of a leader. Like he really likes him. I hope we get along well. I think we get along well. And he's obsessed with being rich. I'm really rich. Part of the beauty of me is that I'm very rich. But we know very little about his business and his money because he will not release his tax returns. Uh, we'll look at that. Maybe I'm going to do the tax returns when Obama does his birth certificate. He promised he would release them later. We're working on it right now, and okay. at the appropriate time, you'll be very satisfied. He made up excuses. I will absolutely give my return, but I'm being audited now. The tax returns became the holy grail everyone was searching for. I can tell you there is no audit that precludes you from showing your tax return. Donald Trump, show us your tax returns! Since 1980, every American presidential candidate has released their tax returns, but there's still no sign of Donald Trump's. Today, we're going to guess why that might be. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is Russia If You're Listening. It's a podcast about the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 US presidential election. Today, the secrecy around Donald Trump's business and when Russian money might have ended up in his pocket. If Putin likes Donald Trump, guess what, folks? That's called an asset, not a liability. Young Donald joined Elizabeth Trump and Son, the company founded by his father and grandmother in 1968. It was a relatively successful development company and had built a number of large apartment complexes in Queens and Brooklyn. But Donald Trump had bigger dreams than being a Long Island real estate agent. In the early 70s, he became president of the company and changed the name to the Trump Organization. He shifted its operations to Manhattan, where he started buying old dilapidated hotels and flipping them for a profit. The first one was the Commodore Hotel. It was built in 1909, and it was a mess. They had a uh, spa, and the spa was called Relaxation Plus. And nobody ever got into what the plus meant. You don't want to know. He ripped the building down to the frame and rebuilt it. I opened the building to tremendous fanfare, and the area became uh, just special. I mean, special. The timing couldn't have been more perfect. He shifted to crime-infested, economically depressed Manhattan just as the property market was hitting rock bottom. The city government was so desperate to turn the market around that they offered him a $45 million tax break. The city was going uh, into bankruptcy, is what everybody thought, and so he took a chance. Former New York Mayor Ed Koch says Trump was there when nobody else wanted property. That's what entrepreneurial uh, ability is all about. And sometimes you make it, and sometimes you go bust. He's lucky. He's made it. By sheer luck, Donald Trump bought into the market just as it started to turn around. It's hard to believe that seven years ago, this city faced bankruptcy. Suddenly, Manhattan was booming. Then there were just two major construction sites in New York. Today, there are 329. Getting in on the ground floor of a booming property market made Trump a lot of money. 
but he hadn't yet developed that Trumpy way of speaking we've grown to know and love. I just want to keep busy and keep active and be interested in what I do, and uh, that's all there is to life as far as I'm concerned. I really am not looking to make tremendous amounts of money. I'm looking to enjoy my life. His father had discovered that something about that Trump name just sold property. So Donald Trump started slapping his name on every building he could get his hands on. He gobbled up 100 acres of Manhattan on the shores of the Hudson River. He put up a huge Fifth Avenue moneymaker called Trump Tower. And just a few blocks away, another one called Trump Plaza. The Trump name was becoming synonymous with wealth. I think this is the kind of thing that people love to fantasize about because you were unquestionably one of the most successful men in the country, if not the world, and also one of the wealthiest. Trump started to realise if he implied he was wealthy but never actually said how rich he was, people could only imagine. Give us a figure that we might ponder here. <laughs> You'll never get it out of me, David. Donald Trump started to cultivate that image. In 1985, he bought Mar-a-Lago, the second largest mansion in Florida. It was built by the heiress to a breakfast cereal fortune and gifted to the federal government as a summer home for the US president. Both presidents, Nixon and Carter, didn't like it, so they gave it back. But Trump was a big fan. Interestingly, when Prince Charles came to Palm Beach, he said, you may be the only person I know that has a house that's nicer than this, meaning Buckingham Palace. And he said, well, I'm not so sure about that. Riding a high, he got into casinos. Trump Castle, the latest hotel to open in Atlantic City. And through financial wizardry, he used almost none of his own cash. Doing business building hotels and casinos in the late 80s meant appeasing the mob. There have been multiple media reports about Donald's business dealings with the mob, with the mafia. Donald Trump had a number of contacts with organised crime, both in the Atlantic City casino business and when building Trump Tower. When you consider that he's building the largest concrete structure of its time and the concrete industry is controlled by Fat Tony Salerno, it makes all the sense in the world. In fact, when he tried to expand his casino empire into Sydney's Darling Harbour in 1987, the New South Wales Police Board recommended his bid be rejected due to his alleged mafia connections. An honourable group of uh, men and women made a decision that Donald Trump was not a fit and proper person to own a casino in New South Wales. And now he's today is the President of the United States. Uh, frightening world. This was around the time that he first met... The Russians. In 1986, Donald Trump was a very wealthy man and the Russians were taking notice. A powerful and famous American businessman who had openly talked about running for president someday was a very attractive target for Russian intelligence. The new Soviet ambassador to the US met with Trump and charmed him. We could very well do something. We're thinking about doing a Trump Tower Moscow. There's speculation that the KGB tried to recruit Trump. After all, he does display the traits of an ideal target. Cynical, egocentric people who can look into your eyes with angelic expression and tell you a lie. These are the most recruitable people. But Trump didn't build a business relationship with the Soviets because for the following decade, Trump and Russia both had rather a tough time. Russia converted from communism to capitalism and Trump's run of good luck came to a halt.
In the early 90s, the US fell into recession. He had overestimated the demand for casinos in Atlantic City and never attracted enough gamblers. He couldn't pay back the massive loans he'd taken out to build them, and that was just the beginning of his problems. An airline called Trump Shuttle died. A board game was released. My new game is Trump, the game. I think you'll like it. That failed. So did the Tour de Trump, a bike race with his name on it. And it can really very much rival the Tour de France. Trump was in trouble. First of all, are you solvent? Uh, well, I've had a hell of a year. I've had a good year. I had a miserable year. Let's go back. If you don't mind, what did you have to unload? Well, I didn't unload. I sold things. I sold the shuttle. And <laughs> All right, the shuttle is no longer the uh, Trump shuttle. I, I, I unloaded the wife. <laughs> Suddenly, he had lost the Midas touch and his billions. But he still had something of value. His own name. Trump city. Trump Tower was sitting in. Trump Plaza. Trump Castle. And so he essentially gave up developing new properties and did something else. He's transitioned from a developer in previous times now to a licensor of his name. So I think it's going to be real interesting to see if the general public and the American consumer believes that having the Trump name on anything makes it worth anything more than anything else. Here's how it works. If you've got something you want to promote, maybe it's a new hotel in the Philippines or a vodka brand in the US, you call up the Trump Organization and strike a deal. Trump Tower is a landmark of exquisite taste and design. You pay them to call your thing Trump Tower Manila or Trump Vodka, and Trump will come and talk about how great it is. Even if he actually has no idea how great it is, which would certainly be the case with vodka, considering Trump doesn't drink. But his main product is his brand, and he relied on his fame for it to stay valuable. So he bought the Miss Universe beauty pageant and starred in his own TV show, The Apprentice. Dennis, you're fired. He started Trump University, and he even came out with a range of stakes. When it comes to great stakes, I've just raised the stakes. Trump stakes are the world's greatest stakes, and I mean that in every sense of the word. Trump was also doing deals with questionable people. The Trump Organization chose to do business with people who had been called the most corrupt family in one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Donald Trump will do business with just about anyone, as long as the check doesn't bounce. He licensed his name to a hotel in Baku, Azerbaijan. The Mamadov family, which US officials have called notoriously corrupt even for Azerbaijan. The New Yorker's Adam Davidson says there's a strong possibility that Trump's $5 million cut came from the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, who the US government says are supporters of terrorism. And I want to make clear, this is not a case of them knowingly going out of their way to make business with the Revolutionary Guard, but it is a case of the Trump Organization doing business with people who were widely known to have ties to supporters of terrorism, supporters, enemies of the United States, and completely ignoring the most blatant warning signs, doing the deal. As one Trump official said, we did deals like that anytime we could, as long as a check was attached. But there's one part of the Trump organization that bucks that trend. Oh, nice. Good job. He's a good job. His golf courses. <laughs> The Trump Organization started buying and building golf courses in 1999. He now owns 17 of them in the US, UK, Ireland and Dubai. 
And a lot of that growth was in the last 10 years. And I think I've been very good for golf. I've taken places that were in trouble and I've turned them around, spent a tremendous amount of money, a lot of good brain work, I think. But they're bad investments. His three European golf courses lost money in 2014 to 2016, and golf generally isn't a big moneymaker for anyone. So why is Trump, who's apparently struggling for money, one of the only people still buying courses? When I first met him, I asked him how he was... You know, this is the journalist in me. I said, what are you using to pay for these courses? In 2013, golf journalist James Dodson played a round of golf with Donald Trump and his son Eric in North Carolina. And he just sort of tossed off that he had access to $100 million. That wasn't enough info for James Dodson, though. He wanted to know more. So when I got in the car with Eric, as we were setting off, I said, Eric, who's funding? I know no banks because of the recession, the Great Recession, have touched a golf course. You know, no one's funding any kind of golf construction. It's dead in the water the last four or five years. And this is what he said. He said, well, we don't rely on American banks. We have all the funding we need out of Russia. Is Russian money paying for some of Trump's businesses, like the golf courses? As a president who is radically changing US policy towards Russia, that could be something that he wants to keep a secret. Trump Organization is a private business, and so they don't need to show anyone their books. But journalists who have peered into Donald Trump's finances aren't impressed. His business is so, it's so bad in so many ways. It's, it was a real estate business that was poorly run as a real estate business. And then it became a branding business, and it was very bad at being a branding business. The New Yorker's Adam Davidson described the Trump Organization as, at its core, a manager of a money-losing Scottish golf course that is kept afloat with funds from licensing fees and decades-old real estate projects. Journalists say that Donald Trump's finances are far, far worse than he would like you to believe. He ultimately oversaw six corporate bankruptcies. Trump gave his biographer, Tim O'Brien, some access to his finances. And he had become in the late 1980s and, and for most of the 1990s this punchline about the excesses of the 1980s. But when Tim published his book, reporting that Donald Trump was probably worth under $500 million, Trump responded by suing him. I think it's the biggest libel lawsuit in US history. He sued me for $5 billion. He lost that lawsuit, and it just gave Tim O'Brien more access to Trump's finances. O'Brien discovered that by the mid-90s, Trump had developed a reputation for not paying his bills. Trump found himself on the financial precipice. He had guaranteed personally almost $900 million in loans. He owed some of the biggest banks in the U.S. about $3.6 billion, and he couldn't pay back any of it. Trump owed a lot of money and couldn't get a loan from any of the major banks, except one. Deutsche Bank was his go-to lender in the years that he was developing a real estate uh, in New York City. And they have a special relationship with Russia. After the 1998 Russia crisis, Deutsche was the only bank to stay in Russia. Everyone retreated and came home. So their ties in Russia cannot be overstated. In 2005, Deutsche expanded its operations in Russia, buying a bank in Moscow, and they started misusing it. These transactions, which were called mirror trades, were ways in which someone, persons unknown, could turn rubles into US dollars, Russian rubles into US dollars. In 2017, they were fined for allegedly laundering $10 billion out of Russia. 
This is the bank that Donald Trump has been exclusively doing business with for the last 20 years. He has a very unusual relationship with Deutsche Bank. After the financial crash, he stiffed them on a huge loan. There was a lawsuit. They settled the lawsuit. Then the private wealth division lent him even more money. You might assume that when you don't pay your loan back and also sue your bank for billions of dollars, that is the end of your relationship. But not for Donald Trump. In fact, he paid off his debt to Deutsche by taking out another loan from them. He was still $300 million in debt to Deutsche Bank when he was elected president. So, is there any link here between Russia and Trump? Well, it's been reported repeatedly that special counsel Robert Mueller is interested in Donald Trump's relationship with Deutsche Bank, and the former State Department official Jonathan Weiner says investigators need to get to the bottom of it. It's important that Mr. Mueller find out what happened there because Deutsche Bank was known as having extensive, intensive relationships with money from former Soviet republics generally and Russia in particular. Now, just because Donald Trump met with Russians over the years and got loans from a bank with a questionable history doesn't mean that he committed any crimes. But at the apex of the Trump organisation is a man who is obsessed with appearing rich and powerful. And the Trump organisation's links to Russia over the last 20 years have raised questions. And I would get along with Russia. And I'll get along with Putin. We can't be sure that Trump's love of Putin isn't a quid pro quo without a good look at his books and he refuses to let us see them. Russia, if you're listening, is produced by Yasmin Parry and Will Ockenden. Next week, Felix Sater. Felix Sater is a career criminal born in the the former Soviet Union. He ultimately becomes a a world-class scammer and, and... Uh, an assault artist. Donald Trump's business partner for a decade. We were in Trump Tower. Uh, We were on the 24th floor. Uh, Trump organization's on the 26th floor. He sold Trump-branded apartments to Russians. We try to find our customer. And if at that moment the Russians are good customers, then they're good customers. But there are allegations that those Russian customers were laundering money through Trump properties. So the idea that laundered money coming from, particularly from the former Soviet republics, that is not correct? It's a lie. Did Donald Trump knowingly accept laundered Russian money? If he did, Felix Sater would definitely know about it. I was uh, literally building Trump Towers by day and hunting bin Laden by night. Uh, And the only thing that suffered uh, in both of those jobs was sleep. Wait, what? Literally building Trump Towers by day and hunting bin Laden by night. He's next on Russia If You're Listening.